Scratches from the claws grow cold. Numbness spreads rapidly from the wounds followed by rigidity. Muscles stiffen, joints lock. Your body stops responding to any mental command to move. Ghoul Paralyzes Player is a scene brought to you by Describe.com. Describe, describe your world. Visit Describe.com slash RPGBot. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com slash RPGBot. And use the code RPGBot at checkout to get 10% off your first subscription payment. Welcome to the RPG Bot Podcast. I'm Randall James, your paralyzed player, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hey, guys. All right, Tyler, what is happening? Well, last week we talked about some status conditions, and there was a bunch that we didn't get to. So this week we're doing it again. We're going to talk about more status conditions. Now, last time we spent a good bit of time on, you know, what happens when you're affected by a given condition, how you can use it, especially for like grappling prone, my favorite grapple shove combination, those things. Uh, so today we're going to cover like the other half of the massive list of conditions in D and D and Pathfinder, how they work, how you can use them both as a player and as a DM and just kind of how they've evolved since D and D three O. Awesome. So the first group that we want to talk about, like I, I, I like to call them the, you know, the more than a feeling group. <laughs> yeah, so th- there's two things here, right? So we can talk about like kind of the set of charmed, dominated, mind controlled. And then after that, we'll talk about fear. But yeah, let, let's focus on charm, dominated, mind control for now. Yeah, so uh, charm, dominated, mind control, they're, they kind of feed into each other and they are often confused. So charmed... Uh, is uh, just sort of making a person friendly. It doesn't mean that they are under your control or you can tell them whatever you want them to do. It just means they'll, uh, according to, uh, I believe it's 5th edition, they take it, they take anything you say in the most positive light or as if you were a friend, a friendly person, something they are friendly with. Dominated is just what it means. Like the target just does what you say unless it is... uh, mortally threatening to them and it can be kind of uh hard to suss out exactly like you know what a person like what is that what what would a friend really do for you like would a friend uh hand over the the MacGuffin, the plot MacGuffin to the big bad evil guy if he charms you or is that a dominated thing um and i feel like uh with charmed and dominated it can get into sort of that gray area territory like figuring out what a what a person who is charmed like what are the limits of that capability and stuff like that well let me let me ask the question first so let's go game by game so let's do 3x 5e then pf2 3x are both charmed and dominated uh, yeah do they exist not explicitly there were spells that would charm a creature charm person uh dominate person all those spells that are in 5th edition like those were in previous editions of D&D, but the charmed condition hadn't been standardized. So every effect that would somehow charm something would work a slightly different way. Like charm monster just said as charm person, but for monsters, basically. 3X had a scale for 
uh, a creature's disposition toward you. Um, if I remember right, it was either five or six steps. Um, if you call back to our Strixhaven review from late last year, um, the like the NPC rival friend characters that were included in the adventure, like there was a there was a relationship track for them that ran from negative two to plus three. It's effectively the same thing. So like all the way at the bottom is they outright hate you and will do things within their power to make your life hard, potentially including violence. All the way at the top is they really like you and they will go out of their way to assist you, potentially even to the point of endangering themselves. Charm monster, charm person, charm spells will generally take a creature and put them all the way on the positive end of that. So suddenly you are their best friend. They'll do things to help you. Depending on the creature, depending on their personality, they may or may not willingly do something dangerous to assist you. But um, depending on the spell, there was frequently things that would be like, if you ask them to do something dangerous, they get another save. So very similar to 5th edition, but we didn't have that standardized charmed condition. So everything was completely within just whatever was the description of the spell. Okay, and so it's pretty common for like the spells in 5e... Uh, I'm going to call, I'm basically going to call it a hangover, right? You are charmed. When charmed expires, uh, yeah, that person's going to have bad feelings towards you. <laughs> yeah. And that's the big issue with, uh, with charm effects in 5th edition is um, usually people would probably use charmed in like a social encounter because using it in combat isn't actually the most effective because um, unless... It, Dominate person is probably more useful in a battle because with charmed, I believe it says so. It, well, it doesn't say on the charmed condition, but the, in the spells that use it, it says that if uh, its allies are under threat by you or you are attacking it, it has advantage on the save. So it makes it not as useful in combat. And if you're going to use it for a social encounter, then arguably you only have until the spell ends and then all of the progress that you did is immediately um, overwritten because now they hate you for charming them. (laughs) So that actually comes down to the description of a spell in a lot of ways. Uh, Some spells specify that the creature's disposition changes when the spell ends. Like the the 5e cantrip friends is absolutely trash spell never use it you'll regret it immediately it makes a creature charmed for one round and then after that round the creature immediately becomes hostile to you so like that one very explicitly says like when the charm effect wears off you're gonna be in trouble so you've got six seconds work fast um whereas i want to push back immediately though i feel like it's the opposite like let's say you're in a social situation and you really want somebody to attack you That's when you use friend, right? That is true. (laughs) But then, (laughs) which is to say, it's completely useless for its intended purpose. Yeah, Yeah, unfortunately, friends. Yeah, friends. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, conversely, charm person. It doesn't have a visual indicator uh, that the spell was cast. It doesn't have a visual indicator of success. Technically, the caster doesn't know if the spell worked. So if you cast charm person, like the save is made behind the screen 
and that that is that. As far as you know, the spell passed or failed, you basically have to suss out whether or not it worked based on the creature's behavior. Um, so like if you walk up to some creature and they've never seen you before and they're like, hey, buddy, great to see you, then it probably worked. If they uh, ask for your papers or something, maybe not. So when charm person ends, it does specify that the creature knows it was charmed by you. Now, as a person, if someone were to perform some sort of mind control on me of any degree, I probably wouldn't appreciate that. I don't know if I'd immediately resort to violence. At the very least, I'd be like, hey, man, could you not? But yeah, yeah. Ash, you're you're absolutely right. Like when the spell ends, any social progress that you've made with that person might be completely reversed. Like they might say, uh, hey, I know I just agreed to do all of this stuff, but I know you just magically charmed me and I no longer want to hold to that deal. Um, there, yeah. there are some spells that don't have that limitation that use charm or charm-like effects. Uh, they work kind of like a Jedi mind trick in that way where like the, the, the creature will do the thing you want them to do and they'll justify it to themselves however necessary. But yeah, always check the definition of the spell. Yeah, and um, there are there are certainly um, charm effects where the creature doesn't remember that it was charmed by you, but those are pretty rare and hard for players to get. The most I've seen those are uh, from monsters in 5e, which is cool, that's great. More ways to make your players mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, charmed is one of those conditions that really, really sucks for players because it's asking a player to work against their own interests and kind of takes away their agency a little bit. And that's why I mentioned the fine line of Charmed, especially when it comes to players, because there's always going to be that argument about like, well, would I really do this? You know, is this Charmed? Is it fine control? So uh, there's a lot of rules learning that goes into Charmed at the table a lot, at least when I run the game, because I, I run games for like, just all dms so it's always <laughs> it always devolves it always devolves into um no no that's not how charm works it works this way and yeah. i do think like as a as a dm you can like one of the things that we brought up a moment ago was the, the idea of would a player give up the macguffin if they were charmed or i should say would a player character give up the macguffin if they were charmed um and one right it goes to the spell right charm person says you are charmed and you would regard you as a friendly acquaintance. Okay, cool. Would you hand the MacGuffin if you knew how important it was to a friendly acquaintance? Probably not. All right. If the language was stronger, then that might make it worthwhile. Towards your point, I, I think the, the secret here is to use this as a role-playing tool, but not a mechanics tool. And certain, certainly, like I'm going to phrase this strangely, not on the main quest line. This would be a fun thing to take into a tavern, have one of your players get charmed by the barkeep, and then have the barkeep encourage them to buy drinks for the uh, the the <laughs> entire bar. And like you spent the gold that you were supposed to be taking to do something else, except for gold is useless in 5e, so maybe it isn't the gold. Um, but yeah, like you could weave a fun story where a player would do something because they're charmed. You can work with that person to make an understanding of like, look, let's have fun. Let's go in this direction. I want to see you RP. And if you RP, there's definitely going to be some, uh, some inspiration in this for you. So, you know, hey, get out there and dance, right? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think if you have your big bad evil guy casting charmed on people, your players are just going to start to get angry and frustrated. <clears throat> that being said, uh, even with like side stuff, if you aren't, you, I think what Randall said is right. You want to use it as a sort of 
role play prompt, like explore this space, explore with me in this space, rather than an RP limiter, which it's very easy to get into, where it's like, no, you have to do this or you have to do X. Players don't like being told what to do. They like having, they like feeling like they are an equal uh, contributor, especially when it comes to their characters to a scene. So if you're like, hey, this is going to be fun, let's play around in this space. Here's what I'm giving to you. You can, you can choose to, uh, you can choose to explore in these parameters rather than saying you have to do X, Y, Z. I really love that you said like the the word explore, and let's bring it back. So we talk about the three pillars of D and D, right? Exploration, social interaction, combat. Okay, for both the exploration as well as social interaction, charmed can be a good reason. Like, what if somebody was charmed and encouraged to go into the room that you were previously told you can't go into? And what if the person who charmed them has the key that gets you there? Right? You have the social interactions. You might, uh, due to being charmed, you might be talking to people who otherwise the party was hesitant to talk to you because you thought they were associated with the bad guy. There's a lot of fun things here that you can use the charm status condition for that are going to help us in the first two pillars. Um, but when I look at it and for everything that we talk about, I feel like as an actual part of combat, uh, Charmed is really not going to be that useful. Maybe the, the only place where I'll disagree with literally what I just said, at the edge of combat, right? The social interactions, if the expectation is that we're immediately going to step into combat, even if the players don't realize, that can be a little bit fun. But I think as the DM, what you need to do is be willing to either cause damage or, or effectively let it be known to the group as soon as combat starts uh, maybe as soon as the first strike against the party happens charmed is gone generally yes uh there are some exceptions mostly from monsters uh, it, at least in 5e the the options for giving something the actual charm condition are fairly limited like there's a lot of things there's a lot of spells and special abilities and stuff for players that say if the creature is immune to the charmed condition, they're just immune to this, but like resistance doesn't matter for some reason. And it's not actually the charmed condition because reasons, uh, but <laughs> yeah, but like I have the vampire stat block up right now. They have a feature called charm. Uh, the vampire targets one humanoid. It can see yada, yada. If they fail to save, uh, they, sorry, wisdom save or be charmed by the vampire charm target regards the vampire as a trusted friend to be heated and protected. Um, you're not on the vampire's control, but you take any requests or actions it does in the most favorable way. So it's not um, it's not that far from the base charmed condition. And also it's a willing target for the vampire's bite attack. So the vampire can char- charm you in combat and be like, hey, man, we're best friends. I'm going to come over and have a snack. And you'll be like, cool, bro. Yeah. So so like. <laughs> There are isolated cases where it does apply in combat, but it's almost exclusively the monsters doing it to the players. It's a hello, friend. I am your lunchable. Let's party. <laughs> well, and, and taking taking things in like the best way possible. It's like, ah, oh, yes, you were, I don't know, flicking a, a bug off my, yeah, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> that pinches. Why? <laughs> I'm sure you had a good reason to stab me. Well, um, now that we've got a basic idea of how it works in 5e should we talk about pathfinder 2 yeah so it's um it's a bit closer to 3x um the charmed condition didn't exist in 3x and it doesn't exist in pf2 so any charm style effects essentially just come down to the specific wording of a given spell 
I uh, have it pulled up here, and uh, I actually think that uh, Pathfinder has a pretty good way of dealing with charms. Um, so the the charm spell, um, which um, I, I believe is a first level spell, uh, it like because Pathfinder likes to do the degrees of success, it's similar with charm. So there are different effects based on how how hard the uh, how hard the target um, resists the effect. So if they critically succeed, they're unaffected and they're aware you tried to charm them. If they just succeed, it's unaffected, but it thinks your spell was something harmless, uh, unless it identifies the spell. Um, if it fails, it becomes friendly to you, and if it was friendly, it becomes helpful. So it essentially moves its disposition up one step. Um, and it can't use hostile actions against you. And then a critical failure, it becomes helpful for you, and it can't use hostile actions against you. So it's interesting that the only remember that you were charmed when uh, when they critically succeed on the save. Or uh, the spell also say, states that they remember that you charmed them if it does something outside of its expectations, like something that it wouldn't normally do, which I, I think is a, is a very interesting way of putting it. And it adds a lot of versatility, a lot of like decision making process in charm, where it's like, okay, I don't want this person to remember that I charmed them. Especially, it makes it more useful in social interactions because 100%. then you, get, it just essentially makes you just a more magnanimous person, uh, as long as you don't like have the guard like let you into a secure area or something. Um, which, if you don't really care about that, then there you go, that works too. But if like you're in a diplomatic situation, let's say. And you uh, are like the countess or something can possibly make the decision. It's like she's on the fence about sending troops to Avalir or whatever. Uh, then you can just tip her that way and she won't even remember that she was charmed. I feel like with Pathfinder, it's more, I would be more likely to use the charm spell in Pathfinder 2. I don't think I've ever used charm as a player in 5e. Although, pro tip, if you're in that situation with the Countess, you don't charm the Countess. You charm their closest advisor, and then if they realize they've been charmed in PF2, just kill them. <laughs> <laughs> that is one way to do it, yes. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I agree. I've, I've literally, as a player, I've never used Charmed in 5e. Um, it's, just, it's very situational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and those Jesus, situations don't exist, <laughs> yeah well and literally like i'm gonna charm the shopkeeper that way i can leave and we're never coming to this store again this store sucked that is what we've <laughs> discovered that's the whole reason i charmed you to begin with uh, maybe if your prices weren't outrageous i wouldn't feel the need to steal from you yeah i yeah. think charmed in 5e is useful if you have no intention of enter- ever interacting with that npc ever again um yeah. that's about oh. the only situation that i can think that it's useful for now you could always if you if you do have to charm these NPCs again, you could just charm them again. You'd be That's like, fair. hey, buddy, I know I charmed you last time, and I feel real bad about that. Yeah, let's yeah, have this you nice should. conversation. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hi, buddy. Ignore me as, as I mumble underneath my breath. <laughs> well, how, how cruel is that, that charm person has both verbal and somatic components, so it's incredibly obvious that you're doing magic. <laughs> wait, wait, what, are, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? <laughs> ah, just kidding, buddy. Ah, yeah, That was funny. That was really funny. <laughs> um, God, it, the, the Seinfeld episode, it's like, you know, 
it's kind of the high five. It's kind of grease monkey, isn't it? Anyway, um, I do, I do want to mention, so to talk about if you're a DM, you're looking for monsters that can impose the charm condition, right? So we have harpies, uh, harpies, uh, will charm also render that individual incapacitated. So that's exciting. Yep. Um, we have, uh, incubus and succubi. Those are exciting. They can charm persons. <laughs> Lots of effects that come with it. Tyler already mentioned vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for the DM, super useful. 100% take advantage. Yeah, for players, less useful. And um, uh, so in addition to charm, there's the dominated, which we touched on. But dominated is really self-explanatory. It's you lose complete control of your character. And the thing that I want to say about dominated, if you're going to use dominated, like using dominated as a player is is very fun. Like. I have used dominate person before, and that can be fun. You turn an enemy into an ally. But as a DM, I would recommend you use it sparingly because it can really piss off your players. But anything that takes away agency from a player, especially if you're turning that player against their friends, uh, is gonna... It's, it, unless, unless the player is like into that and is like, okay, I can have fun with this and, you know... Uh, what would my character do in an evil capacity and stuff like that? But some players don't like that, and they don't like their agency taken away from them. So uh, while it can be useful, and while you can sort of make a make a an argument for why your big bad would use it on a player, I would say use it wisely and not at the expense of your player's fun. Yeah, I think... I- Similar to what I said for, for Charmed against your players, I'll say the same thing for Dominate here. I would argue you shouldn't make this part of combat. Um, or if you're going to do it, it needs to be extremely rare, and I'll maybe make the argument that your players should know it's coming. Like, they're super warned that, like, oh, you know, you know you're going to go fight him, you know, he can dig over your mind, and then, yeah, okay, yeah, do something about it, or don't and fail. It'll be great. <laughs> but I do think... Dominate player could be fun if you're setting up something like akin to a skill challenge, akin to we're in the castle and our goal was to protect the MacGuffin to make sure the MacGuffin didn't get dragged out of the castle. Except one of you got dominated and you're going to try to remove the MacGuffin outside of the castle and removing that MacGuffin doesn't have like world catastrophic impact. Yeah, that could be a fun session. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to randomly roll the dice. You're the person under my control. And maybe even better is over time, like we're rotating through who's under control. And it's basically like, can you as an individual make the choices to get it out while everybody else is fighting against you? Mm-hmm. I think that kind of, I'm going to call it almost like mini game, could be a lot of fun for the role playing. It could be a lot of fun for like strategy and like let everybody treat it like a puzzle where it is player versus player without it explicitly being combat. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think with player versus player, um, unless it's done really carefully and with a good group, it can devolve really quickly. Um, but it, it can also be a useful tool for drama, uh, as was seen in uh, Critical Role when Vax at one point got dominated by by a big bad and turned against the party briefly. Uh, that was that that was fun because the players were all on the same page and it worked. Um, my suggest, my recommendation is if you're going to use dominate person, don't take control of the player character. Tell them, okay, you now see this person as someone you have to die for or like work with. 
how will your character do this? And give the player still, the player is still able to control their character, but now their motivations have changed and their allegiances have changed. That way it doesn't feel like the player is just like, well, I guess I'm just going to sit here while you use my guy now. This <laughs> 100%. Is, I'm having absolutely. a good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the 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 description of dominate effects frequently say like whoever is dominating still has to issue commands so if you as the dungeon master game master are dominating a player like yeah get consent with everybody at the table for that to happen but then be like okay you're dominated here's how this is going to work character who is dominating you will issue you a command and i expect you to act on that command to the best of your character's capabilities Mm -hmm. and like yeah if they do a good job with that give them inspiration or something when when they break the dominate effect and yeah as a player like i'd be like okay i'm gonna murder my party good luck guys (laughs) (laughs) and then my party being wonderful smart well-optimized people are gonna be like oh no you're gonna get one round to enjoy this tyler sit down (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna go nuke the big bad while this happens yeah well, but but i think you actually answered that exactly correct so if you're the dm in that situation don't say i want you to use your first attack to do this thing and then i want you to use your second attack to do this thing or hey as a sorcerer what i'd like you to do is quicken this bonus to have fireball uh and then after that i'd like you to use a fireball like don't don't do that just say as the you know the the as the bad guy what you say to the character is kill your friends and then leave it up to the player to figure out how to kill the friends or like kill that particular friend very tall <laughs> all right great that's wonderful but I, I, you know ash you said it tyler you hinted at it don't literally say what to spend their turn on instead give them the idea of what they should be doing and then let them do it in their own way yeah exactly all right uh, so let's move on to the second part of more than a feeling fear or being frightened so I, I'm going to point people back to our Spooktober episodes from last year, especially the horror episode. Um, we're there. not going to touch on like <laughs> how do we how do we make scary good? Uh, we're we're just going to talk about the fear condition because I feel like we've already hit on the the making the spooky come out. We've done that pretty well. Although I have to say I'm very excited about this Spooktober. Me too. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) All right. So we're going to start from 3X again because very informative. So in 3rd edition 3.5 PF1, fear was actually a progression kind of similar to 5th edition's exhaustion track. So you started from shaken, which I wrote shaked in here for some reason. Should have just wrote (laughs) shook. I was Uh, reading that it's shaken. So that's exciting. uh, If you're pronouncing it like that, yeah. So you start from shaken, which is like, I'm a little scared. I'm going to take some penalties to some stats. Then there's frightened, which is very similar to 5E's frightened. Like you have trouble doing stuff while the subject of your fear is there. Panicked is you run away. Cowering is you are so scared that you're incapable of moving. Okay. I want to ask the question just so I can really understand that. Um, The episode of South Park where the monster is attacking everyone and Randy's running around with the camera and he's I'm so startled. Where was he on the shaked to cowering? <laughs> um, depending on where he was in the episode, he probably got all the way up to panicked. I don't remember him ever cowering, but I might be wrong. 
Yeah, that's uh, fair. Okay, good. So it, it probably started to shake it and it managed to get all the way up to panicked. Yeah, uh, which is actually a good segue into the concept of fear stacking. So just like in 5th edition where you can pile on levels of exhaustion with stuff like uh, Sickening Radiance, in 3X you have this thing called fear stacking. I mean, it's not an official name in the rules, but it's what people call it. And basically you impose a fear condition repeatedly to force creatures down this condition track. So this is another one of those death spirals where like the further you down you get, it's harder to get off. So if you can make a creature shaken, you can make it shaken again to move it up to frightened and you can make it shaken again to move it up to panicked. So like you can stack multiple like low grade effects to force creatures down this track. And uh, if you can make a creature run away from a fight, it's almost as good as killing them in a lot of cases. So very effective strategy. You can do it with a lot of low level effects that are pretty good. Like the spell cause fear or, or the spell fear because why do we have a spell called cause fear? And a spell just called fear? I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, fear stacking. It was a thing. It worked pretty well. There were some great ways to do it. Um, and now that's gone and I'm sad. Yeah. yeah, I mean, 5e really took this in a, a, right, a different direction. It's a lot less complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so frightened as a condition is pretty simple. Frightened creature has disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls while the source of its fear is in line of sight and the creature cannot willingly move closer to its source of fear. Those, those two things. So there's no stacking on it. Um, it can be quite debilitating. Let's say I'm a, a melee character and I'm rendered afraid, I'm rendered frightened of something that I'm fighting, fighting and I'm not in melee range. I am useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of the reasons dragons can be very hard to fight. Their fear aura thing really, really uh, causes trouble for martial characters. And then they just eat casters. So, yeah. dragons. And yeah, uh, as someone who made a character built around using fear effects, uh, it can be very fun and really powerful at low levels. But there's a point where in 5e, uh, it has diminishing returns. Because um, as you get higher, I, I think... F- no, fear is not like sleep. Fear is just... Uh, it doesn't affect number of hit points. But there are certain... Like, as you get higher, people's wisdom saves are insane. It, it's still arguably pretty useful at all levels, but not, like, amazing. And the fact that they get a chance to save every turn makes it not great. And uh, yeah, disadvantage on attacks and ability checks is good, and especially if you're a caster keeping things away from you. That's why it worked really well for this build because she was a caster. Um, Can be very useful. But I do like the idea of fear stacking a bit more, how it's harder and harder and harder to get out of it the further down you go. Yeah, that would be nice, like something nice to keep. And uh, you know, even PF2's like counting system would also be like a pretty cool way of managing that. But you know, here we are talking about 5e. I want to ask the question. So you talked about a build that was leveraging fear in the frightened condition. What were the things that you were taking advantage of? So um, the Bard uh, College of Shadows, uh, or no, College, is it College of Shadows or? Whispers? Whispers, that's the, that's the one. Thank you. Uh, College of Whisper Bard, uh, they focus on stuff like that. So they're the, the, it, out of combat, you can say something to a person to make them instantly frightened of you. Um, like you just <laughs> whisper something to them, and they are just fucking. They are just excuse me. They are just frightened of you. Um, 
So, no, uh, what, what are the things that you would say to somebody? It's like, I forget. Um, <laughs> I, I would say something innocuous and then they'd just be like, uh, uh, uh. Um, but uh, once you get to six, le- uh, well, at a certain level, I think that you can just, um, the, 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 the College of Whisper Bard, I have to look it up, but it, it, it takes advantage of fear really well. Um, and then Does anybody else smell oh. bees? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got a pocket, got a pocket full of spiders. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't going to go there for your sake. But here we are. Oh, I appreciate that. I had to work myself up to it. <laughs> spider so, bees, spider <laughs> So I just remembered. So College of Whispers, uh, that feature, you convince that you, you say something that seems innocuous to a target. Like if anybody's listening to you, what it sounds like is you're just saying something innocuous. But the target thinks that you know their deepest, darkest secret and can use it against them, uh, which is very cool. But uh, in terms of spells, like the main thing that I focused on were fear, cause fear, uh, dissonant whispers. Um, Love that so, spell. Uh, essentially just uh, uh distant whispers was awesome for this build especially because of the party setup that i had uh i had um my friend was playing this uh fighter and basically what i would essentially do is uh wait until they were in melee with someone and cause distant whispers because that immediately gives them an attack of opportunity <laughs> which uh, which is very cool um so distant whispers if you just want a cool like base fear effect Arguably useful at all levels. Dissonant Whispers is great. Uh, cause fear, situational at best. Fear, if you can get it off in a good area, is so good. Um, the problem with fear is that it's a cone that you're doing. So you have to target it in a way that you're not going to affect your friends or just hope that they save out of it. Or just but, make friends with paladins. Yeah. <laughs> but fear, especially against quick characters is really really good like uh so in this campaign uh the dm had these characters that could move like 120 feet if they were dashing and essentially what fear says is the creature needs uh, not only runs away from you it has to take its action to run as far away from you as it can so suddenly something that's here and causing a lot of problems for us because they were a big problem I just casted fear on them and it was in the ocean and essentially they just, they had to go so far away from me. And if they can still see me at any point, they have to keep doing that. And because <laughs> there was no th- nothing blocking their line of sight, something that was now here is now like a mile away. <laughs> and essentially I was just like, you can bring those guys back if you want to, but they're gone now. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. Like fear can be really useful if you if it's in the right situation and you can set it up well. I mean, even as far as the action economy goes, just removing a single creature from the fight is tremendous for the mm-hmm. party. Yes, yes. Like if if the only thing that happened was like I had to fight two and then I got to fight one instead of fighting three, great. Yeah, but the th- great thing about fear is if you target it right, you can cause several enemies to run away. Uh, yeah. So now, instead of fighting five people, you're only fighting like two. <laughs> yeah. Instantly, I feel like we we made fun of Death End last time, didn't we? We did. Yes. That it wasn't very good. Yeah. Now here's yeah. the deal: if you were Death End, you automatically automatically succeed on the saving throw against Dissonant Whispers. 
to. That is true. Take that. That is, that is true. <laughs> you might even call it a buff. <laughs> so before we go, move on to uh, pf2's version of fear um another great option in 5e for using fear is oath of conquest paladin uh random wrote an awesome guide for the oath of conquest paladin that uses fear to basically hold enemies in place and then push them prone it's like grapple shove but also scary um it's very good <laughs> we'll have links in the show notes yeah, please spooky lay down. Oh, and uh, if anybody just heard the sound of a bomb going off, it's the end of July. Uh, there are fireworks happening. My dog is not happy. Yes, uh, there was an explosion near right in my backyard, so that was a fun little jolt awake. So, okay. <laughs> and to be clear, like bombs and explosions, right? Uh, so some folks, right? We have Fourth of July Independence Day in America. We are all in different cities in America, in the United States, and. Uh, yeah, like people start shooting off fireworks like the week before the 1st of July. And then hopefully by like the 7th, everybody's burnt out on it. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> we can dream. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. I love yeah. fireworks. I actually, I have a lot of fireworks to shoot off tomorrow. And I'm very <laughs> excited. That's a, that's a side story. Maybe we get into that. <laughs> after the episode we'll talk about yeah. July. <laughs> all right so pf2 fear um so in pathfinder second edition there are a lot of status conditions that come with a number on them now somehow we managed to avoid all of them on the previous episode so here's our first one fear is one of those conditions with a number so you'll be like frightened one frightened seven something uh and when you have the frightened condition you take a minus whatever the number is penalty to everything like uh all your checks all your dcs and in pf2 an attack is a check so it's like all your skill checks all your attacks all your saving throws like all your skill dcs like which for 5e players imagine being so scared that you got a penalty to passive perception generally it won't get above like two or three as far as i've seen um and it wears off one point per turn so like at the end of your turn it'll go down by one until it hits zero and you're not scared anymore um it doesn't affect the actions you can take so you're still free like i am i am frightened 20 i have just seen uh cthulhu whatever my mind is broken i'm incapable of functioning I can still walk up to it and be fine. Like I'm not going to do anything effective, but I can walk up to it. So it is a little different. Um, this is one of those, one of those reasons why Pathfinder gets called math finder a lot. Cause like, Oh great. Now I've got a bunch of status conditions. that give me a bunch of penalties that I have to subtract in addition to my three various types of bonuses that I have to add. And, and so you're talking about the fact that like you could walk up to it. it it's probably mm -hmm. worth calling out. So take the actual fear spell from PF2 though. So critical, critical success, nothing happens. Success uh, targets frightened by one. If they, if they fail the saving throw, frightened two. critical fa failure, frightened three, and you are fleeing for one round. Um, and so if, if you have multiple folks like casting fear or you're casting fear on successive turns, there's of course some likelihood that you're actually going to be able to force them to flee and it's going to accumulate uh, frightened number. I don't know what to call it. Um, frightened count? Uh, no, unfortunately. The, so it doesn't stack like it does or like it did in 3X. So when you get a new fear effect, it's just you keep whichever's the highest. 
It's like, if I'm already frightened two and you make me frightened one, I'm still just frightened two. Oh, that's garbage. I don't yeah. like that. Um, yeah. But it it is also much easier to make creatures frightened. You can, uh, as an action, you can use the demoralize action, which is uh, use the intimidate skill to talk smack and make somebody frightened one. Okay, that makes sense. And I guess, yeah, as I read the spell, right, target is frightened one, target is frightened mm-hmm. two. Not increment, but yeah, okay. That makes sense. That's not garbage. I didn't mean it for you too. <laughs> it is still pretty good considering how effective the frightened condition is. Like uh, minus two penalty on all things is massive, even if it yeah. only lasts for like a round or two, depending on how you want to consider it. Yeah, it's pretty tremendous. Yeah, and the fact that everybody can do it with like a demoralize is very good. It's arguably like as powerful as flat footed and Pathfinder one was. Um, so if you can flat foot a person in Pathfinder one, like with the faint, you have a substantial advantage, but with, uh, with this, anybody can just demoralize. And even if it's just one round and it's minus one, mm-hmm. it's still very good. So, yeah. And a lot of spells in PF two take two actions to cast. So if you're a charisma based spellcaster, it's a really good idea to demoralize and then cast your two action spell because you're a bit more likely to succeed with that spell. That's funny, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to intimidate you or demoralize you and then I'm actually going to hurt you. That's yeah. Yes. Let's party. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's messed up. <laughs> and so we, we want to talk about tabletop in general. And so when we talk about the idea of fear or being frightened, it makes perfect sense that we want to talk about Call of Cthulhu as well. Yeah. So Call of Cthulhu uh, doesn't really have a frightened condition necessarily. Like it doesn't have fear, but it does have sanity, which essentially kind of works the same way. Um, So the way sanity works in Call of Cthulhu is you have uh, a certain amount of sanity points and they go from one to 99. Um, and uh, so it's essentially like if you can consider health as your physical hit points, sanity is your mental hit points. And there are ways to recover it when it goes down, but um, it is hard. Like you can either go to therapy, you can try to get uh, with some of your bonds from your backstory. Uh, you can also just be committed. <laughs> Does, do flagellation or alcoholism fix this? It, it can if you have relig- if if your character is a religious person, they can use something from the religious background to help them overcome their sanity, like regain some sanity. I know it's weird, but <laughs> but yes, uh, that is a thing you can do. Um, I'm just thinking darkest dungeon. They're, they're like that's that's the that's where my head's at right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, as so it is it is kind of like the death spiral feature as your sanity goes down. It is harder and harder to, you know, resist sanity debilitating effects. Makes sense. Essentially, every time you are enca- you're encountering something that could give you fear or sanity uh, damage, you have to roll under your sanity. And if you succeed, then nothing happens. But if you don't, or, or you can take, if, if depending on the severity of what you're seeing. So, like fighting a ghoul, for instance, if you see a ghoul. You, for the first time, uh, you'll pro- if you succeed, you'll probably take no sanity damage. If you fail, it's like a D3 because Call of Cthulhu likes stuff like that. It likes <laughs> D3s. That. 
It likes the it it does like D threes. It likes the the non existent dice. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but uh, it is a D one hundred. It messes with your mind. That's why. It sure mm, does. Yep. <laughs> but like, let, let's say you meet like an eldritch entity. Then even if you succeed, you will still take some sanity damage, just not as much. And what I also think is really cool about the sanity system is, uh, if you if you see the same thing. In, in like the course of the day, you don't have to make a sanity check again. So let's say you fight a ghoul for the first time, you have to you have to do that sanity check. If you fight another ghoul later on, you don't have to make it again because now you've seen it and you're used to it. It's but, old hat. It's old hat. But after like a day, I think it's a day. After a day, uh, if you see a ghoul again, then you will have to do that sanity check again because now you're like you you forgot about it. Uh, technically and then you come back and oh yeah this thing exists <laughs> um and in addition to that because like, call of cthulhu is a very in-depth system it has temp different kinds of insanity temporary indefinite and permanent so temporary insanity is just you know the stuff that we were talking about you take some insanity damage uh indefinite is if you take a large amount of sanity damage um so just if you lose sanity it like small amounts of sanity, it's fine, it's whatever. But if you meet a threshold of sanity, if you lose a certain amount of sanity in one day, one day only, like let's say it's like a percentage of your current sanity, so let's say like six. If you lose six sanity in a day, then you get what's called indefinite sanity, which will come with bouts of insanity, uh, which can be... Uh, you basic the random conditions like sometimes you'll get like a bout of amnesia or paranoia and stuff like that. And then uh, permanent insanity is if your sanity is ever reduced to zero, you're essentially dead as a character. You either uh, are committed to an asylum or uh, you become an agent of evil working against the party. So yeah, it's a really in-depth system. Uh, as much as people say Pathfinder is Mathfinder, I would argue Call of Cthulhu is worse in this respect. Uh, it is a D100 system, so it works on percentages. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's a very in-depth system. And I think if you want to bring that kind of system into your setting for like, say, 5th edition, like look at Call of Cthulhu. Don't use the sanity stuff in the DMG because it's not very good. <laughs> so let's talk about getting sick in a different way. Let's talk about poison and disease. All right. So, Ash, you're playing PF1 for the first time. Have mm -hmm. you been poisoned or contracted a disease? Um, Actually, yeah. No, you hear it. <laughs> I have. Yes. I'm totally diseased right now. Uh, I am a little, I am feeling a little under the weather, but uh, I believe I've been sickened. I have not gone off to nauseated. And that wasn't from a disease. It was from me drinking too much. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So so I'm going to, for people who have not played three wait, acts. Wait, wait. In game or your character? Both. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So for people who have not played three acts, I'm going to make you sad for a minute. We're going to talk about it. So poison and disease in, in three acts caused what? what's called ability damage and sometimes ability drain. We'll get to that ability damage would semi-permanently reduce one of your ability scores. So like, let's say I was bitten by a Viper. I make a fortitude save, which is 
five equivalent to a constitution save in 5e. So I, I make a saving throw. If I fail, I take constitution damage. Constitution damage reduces my constitution score. I see Randall vigorously shaking his head. That's the yeah, right I don't, I don't like this. Yes. Your constitution score yeah, goes down. Bad which can change your modifier, which means you have to recalculate your hit points, which means you have to recalculate your fortitude saves, which means you have to recalculate like, yeah, all of this on and on and on. So congratulations, you're poisoned. Get ready to recalculate your character sheet. Hope you aren't using paper. Uh, Disease is basically the same thing, but slower. So ability damage was a huge thing in three acts. Like it, uh, Every poison did this. The idea of poison doing hit point damage was literally not a thing. Like, if poison was involved, you had to be like, okay, everybody chug antitoxins. This is going to suck. Yeah, I'm glad it went away. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's terrible. Like, we talk about the, okay, we're here to have fun. uh Uh-huh. That doesn't sound fun. That just sounds like, yeah. Oh. Uh, I just remembered. I did contract a disease one time. Uh, so one of the characters I was playing went to hell. Yes. Um, and uh, encountered a succubus. Don't ask me why a succubus was in hell. But um, they're demons, not devils. Uh, or not? No, it wasn't a succubus. It was this other creature that it sprays you with this toxin. And if you fail the save, you get an- addicted to it. And addiction mechanics are considered disease first off in Pathfinder, and Good they are brutal. They're brutal. Like if you don't have your addictive substance, you get you get like stacking damage to your uh to a specific attribute. And I hated it. I was so mad about this. <laughs> um, there are ways to recover, but like it wasn't like a, it wasn't a thing that my character chose to be addicted to. It was just something that a creature sprayed me with. And now I'm like, ooh, yes, please, more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, poison and disease in 3X. Not a lot of fun. Just a super... I mentioned ability drain earlier. So uh, ability damage will recover at like one point per ability score per long rest. So like you can gradually get that back by resting, but it takes several days. Ability drain is permanent until <laughs> removed by magic mm-hmm. fortunately you could only you usually only got ability drain from spells and things like that uh like shadows would do strength damage so if you're playing 5e and you look at the shadows and you're like okay shadows are going to reduce my strength and if i get to zero strength i'm toast um i would not want that to be on every monster like if, if you're having that thought as you look at the shadow you're correct that is how poison worked in 3x Every poison, every single one, every snake, every scorpion, every poisoned like dart that shoots out of a wall, every poison sucked. I'm glad it's gone. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) I fought shadows, too. And here was the thing was we're we're just two players. Both of us pick strength as our dump stat. (laughs) Oh, no. And we were fighting a bunch of shadows. Mm -hmm. A threat Uh, at any level. Yeah, so my witch has 12 strength, right? Uh, Which is not great. My friend uh, has 5 strength. So one good hit from a shadow would kill them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that was terrifying. (laughs) 
I ended up with uh, I went from two is twelve strength to two by the end of that fight, which wow really sucked. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> that that is gone. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's actually talk about that. Let, let's celebrate the fact that it's gone. Yes. Good job, 5e. I'm glad you did it. <laughs> Wonderful choices. Uh, yes. All involved. We, we, <laughs> yes. we salute you. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so now in 5e, we have the poison condition. Yes. And the poison condition is basically disadvantage on attacks and ability checks, right? Yeah. It's, it's I don't feel good physically. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, Call back to three X again. There were there were these sickened and nauseated conditions. Sickened was like I don't feel good, but it's not really going to stop me. You just take minus two to some stuff. Nauseated is I am actively throwing up right now. Uh, I only get a move action on my turn. I can stumble around. I could technically draw a weapon, but I'm probably not going to. I'm going to spend the rest of my turn being sick actively. Uh, those are gone. Now we just have poisoned in five e. Yeah, Randall, like you said, disadvantage on attack rolls, disadvantage on ability checks. There are a lot of monsters that can cause the poison condition. Um, Troglodytes are a great example at low levels, but there's uh, stuff across the whole level range. The uh, sickening cloud spell can cause it for players. So, like, there are some options on both sides. Resistance and immunity to poison are both super common so like the poison condition is pretty easy to get around there's spells to protect you from it there's items um but yeah uh don't be poisoned it's not fun yeah um poisoned can suck in 5e uh when it comes to disease though it's kind of a non-issue in 5e which we've talked about this uh, we did an episode on disease and crit fails um and i find that incredibly disappointing um, I like think you did the episode. No, <laughs> <laughs> I find it disappointing that disease is a non-issue in Five E, um, because diseases can be very interesting. Um, I agree that Pathfinder maybe went a little too hard when it came to disease, but I think Five E went too hard in the other direction uh, to basically making them an inconvenience at best or a just a nuisance at worst. Um, uh, but like essentially it's not so much the diseases themselves, which there aren't a lot of, but even the ones that do exist, uh, are completely negated by just very easy to, uh, to attain abilities. Lesser restoration just gets rid of disease. Uh, lay on hands from a paladin can purge you of disease. Like there's so many ways that you can just easily get rid of disease. So something that could be like a campaign arc in and of itself is just like, oh, you got the strongest disease, the most deadly disease in this world. No worries. Two hip, two hip points from my, uh, my lay on hands. You're good now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been cool, but I guess not. And then the question comes like, how is disease a thing in the world anymore? <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, that's the classic, uh, high wizard problem. It's like when there, when there's a, when someone can produce a magical solution to all of these problems, why haven't they? And the yeah. simple answer is actual clerics and actual paladins. Super rare. But, uh, yeah, um, this is a weird callback. The Neverwinter Nights, uh, CRPG, D&D 3.0 is a video game. Very good, except for the fact that it was D&D 3.0. Um, 
the plot for like the first chapter of the game was Neverwinter is overcome by this disease that is basically killing everybody. Um, and I'm going to spoil it for you. The twist is a little obvious, so like bear with me, but earmuffs for the next 10 seconds. The clerics casting removed disease are the ones causing the disease. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I love oh, it, it's a racket. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, the, yes, that is how you spread the disease by the cure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Neverwinter Nights. Um, at some point, maybe we'll write an article about how to survive that game. It's really fun to play. You just have to know how to survive three O's mechanics because they're rough and converting it to a video game didn't fix that. Let's see. So, yeah, like you guys said, disease isn't really much of a thing in 5e. Um, there are some things that were diseases in previous editions that I just either just went away, like dire rats in previous editions would give you this disease called filth fever because like they live on a diet of filth. Their mouths are gross. There was a disease called mummy rot. Uh, mummy rot, still a thing, but it's no longer a disease. It's now a curse, which when you think about it, kind of makes more sense, honestly, anyway. Like a, a magical mummy slapping you isn't just going to be like, hey, you've got the mummy pox. Go home. It's more thematic, certainly. But, I mean, at, yeah. you know, hey, what's the <laughs> difference, buddy? Uh, one's a curse and it takes remove curse to get rid of it. And one's a disease and you can get rid of that with restoration, lesser restoration. Remove curse is like a fifth level spell. Lesser words are hard. Lesser restoration <laughs> is a second level, I believe. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well. Well established. Thank you. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's peek at PF two real quick. So um, for those of you either remembering nostalgically how poison and disease worked in three X, or people who are looking at it and saying like, I never want to touch either of those systems just because of that mechanic. PF two is struck kind of a happy middle ground actually. So it has this uh, general system called afflictions that's used for poison diseases, curses, a few other things. Uh, but basically you'll have an affliction and you need to save against it successfully some number of times for it to go away. And the affliction itself will tell you like, this is what happens as you move up and down the stages of this affliction. Cause depending on the affliction, you could get worse, get better, get worse again. So kind of like a real disease, like you could be getting better for a while, have a bad day, get worse, and then hopefully eventually recover. Or not. I don't know. Um, so afflictions will typically um, apply other status conditions. So instead of being like, ah, I've taken 10 points of strength damage, you'll be like enfeebled too, which is the like, I, I am physically drained and my body isn't functioning as well as it could. Um, generally, these afflictions won't deal damage. It's usually conditions of some kind. Sometimes it can be like some specific effect unique to that affliction. But it's it's this very simple to understand universal rule throughout the entire system. So like it, it works the same way for every affliction. So you learn how the affliction rules once and you're good to go. And yeah, not nearly as much recalculating your character sheet. Yeah, I I kind of like that. It adds, it brings, it makes diseases a thing again. Um, and it, but it doesn't be like, oh, this sucks. This is so brutal and I mm -hmm. hate this. And now I have to recalculate everything. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that is a good, uh, once again, like Pathfinder continually proving to me, Pathfinder 2 continually proving to me 
let's take some of the good things from 3.5 and let's take some good things from 5e and find a happy middle ground between them. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, yeah I, I would totally agree. Like without, you know, what we talked about for 3x really ruins fun. What we're describing right now, it's essentially like diseases are allowed to have character again. Mm-hmm. You know, they can manifest in different ways. It can be interesting. It, it can be fun to run into a new disease as long as you're not suffering from it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I really like that they kind of wrote that rules is written that, okay, we have an idea of afflictions. Afflictions are going to have this impact. That's great. Yeah. The last group of status conditions that we want to talk through are what I want to call the incapacitated and incapacitated family. So let's that, step into this. Is that and like I, the Adams family, but they don't move around a lot? Not a whole lot at all. Actually, technically, they can move. Uh, they can't dash. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's important. We'll step into that. But yeah, so let's maybe, I'm, I'm really approaching this from a 5e perspective. So let me lay out what's there, and then let's take a step back and talk about what's happening in 3x that, that relates to it. So in 5e, we have this idea of being incapacitated. Uh, the core condition, you cannot take actions or reactions. Uh, you also cannot take bonus actions. Mm-hmm. You can move, but you can't dash because dashing is an action and you can speak. All right. So incapacitated by itself, it doesn't happen very often on its own. Uh, usually what's happening is you're getting incapacitated and something else. And those something else's tend to be paralyzed, petrified, stunned, or knocked unconscious. Paralyzed and unconscious, you have an auto crit if the the attacker is adjacent to you. You know, petrified, you become very heavy as if you were made of stone because <laughs> you are. Uh, it, it, yeah, petrified, your diseases that you're carrying or, or anything that, that is wrong with you is frozen for a moment. And when you're unpetrified, they come back at the stage that they were before you went in. Uh, unconscious, like you drop all your items, you fall prone to the ground, and you're very sleepy in the sense that you're not awake and people can. Stunned, you can't move. So there's a whole lot happening there, but it all kind of has that root of and no actions, no bonus actions, no reactions. So in 5e, your action economy is shot and you're basically hoping that the next opportunity to save gets you out of this um, because it is devastating for your character. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird that the text for incapacitated calls out actions or reactions, because when something says you can't take actions, it means actions of any kind, including your your main action, reaction, bonus action, your fr- free actions, even uh, your free item interaction. Like you, you cannot do things. Movement potentially being an exception because movement in 5e is not an action. Yeah, it's movement. It's movement. Yeah. Um, now, calling back to 3x, there's a lot of overlap there. Like a lot of those things have actually stayed pretty similar since third edition. Um, The dazed condition, for example, says you can't take actions. So similar to incapacitated, um, except actions worked differently in 3x. Movement was an action. So you couldn't move. You can take a five foot step. Like you couldn't draw a weapon. You can't cast a spell. You can't, you basically can't do anything. You can't talk. So if you're dazed, you're done. Like basically you have an off switch for a turn. Um, and then there's a worse version of that called stunned that in addition to not being able to do stuff, you also drop everything you're holding, you're flat footed and you take an extra penalty to AC. We talked about how much it sucked to be flat footed on the previous episode. 
Um, dazed, you can still actively defend yourself. So like you don't take an AC penalty, your shield still does stuff for you, but stunned, stunned hurts. Don't be stunned. Conditions like paralyzed, uh, unconscious, um, petrified, pretty similar, except in like minor changes to the wording. Um, uh, so you didn't get the automatic critical hit that you do with paralysis or if creatures unconscious or whatever in three X instead three X had this thing called a coup de gras, which is you hit them. They make a fortitude saving throw against a DC equal to the damage that you dealt. If they fail, they just die. Um, now was oh. a full. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. No, wait. Okay. Say that one more time more slowly. I perform a coup de gras, which is a full round action. So like I generally have to be very close to the target. It's a full round action. Takes my entire turn. I hit them. The target of the coup de gras then makes a fortitude save. So if you're playing 5e, think a constitution save um, against a DC equal to the amount of damage that I dealt. Um, if I remember right, the coup de gras is also an automatic critical hit. So if you're smart, you can bring something with like an X4 critical multiplier and just deal a mountain of damage to make this save impossible. Uh, so they make a fortitude save. If they fail, the creature dies outright. Oof. Yeah. So if you think paralysis is brutal in 5e, and it is, it was so much worse in 3x. Yeah. No, that, that sounds absolutely terrible, but also awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. it's actually worse. The oh. DC is 10. Plus the damage you dealt. That seems unnecessary and cruel, but okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I don't know why. Let's make it harder. Add a 10. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> They're probably assuming that you're doing a coup de gras with something small, like a dagger. Not like, yeah. I'm level 10. I've got my plus five dagger of dude slaying. I'm just going to deal a million damage. Good luck. Um, so i want to peek at the petrified condition as well while we're here because there's some fun differences between 3x and 5e so in 3x the entire description is the creature is turned to stone and unconscious that is it it tells you nothing else about what it means to be stone it doesn't tell you about your diseases it doesn't tell you about poison it doesn't like anything else you have going on as far as i can tell if you are actively poisoned and then turned to stone you continue to suffer the effects of that poison you could die while petrified in 3x it's real dumb um and also if people go and attack you and stuff the dm has to find the stats for stone buried in the dungeon master's guide to figure out like okay how much damage resistance and hit points does stone have because this guy's a statue now yeah how hard is it to hit an inanimate object made out of stone that's a lot easier to hit Mm -hmm. that's uh it's a little silly uh 5e's (laughs) description of petrified is much more detailed okay wait um how do you handle the fact that i was holding up my shield when i was turned to stone and perhaps the contact made contact with my shield the monster ducks down and stabs you in the shins. Oof. Oh, no, that's that's just mean. It works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't like that at all. No. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of funny that in 5e they like they took that to an extreme and say, okay, here's the deal. We gave you eight words in 3X. In 5e, we're gonna specify so many things. <laughs> because they're right, like your weight is specified, all this bit about poison and disease is specified. Like it I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of detail there to the point where it's like, I don't get petrified that often. Yeah. It's really hard to get petrified in 5e. 
Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's basically like Medusa's Gorgons and a couple of spells, and I think that's about you it. Have to, you have to fail three consecutive saves, so it's yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot easier to die than it is to be petrified, which feels weird. Yeah, it does feel weird. <laughs> Uh, so one thing I should note in both 3X and 5E, if you are petrified, you're still a creature, which means any spells that affect objects do not affect you, but creatures that affect, but spells that affect creatures still do. So like if I went on a wild tear and decided to cast dissonant whispers on someone who is petrified, that's a thing I can do. I can, I can make them both petrified and scared and also, and also hurt them. Um, but I couldn't say stone shape someone. That would be it, brutal. It, it, it sure would. I, um, I wrote an article a while ago called how to literally play dungeons and dragons. And the premise of the article was, uh, you use a combination of stone shape and wall of stone to turn a creature into a dungeon and then you bring in dragons. And then that player is now literally playing dungeons and dragons. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it was incredible. I read the whole stupid. thing. It, it's a fun read. <laughs> um, I believe you can actually still use Wall of Stone because the stone just has to be supported by existing stone. It doesn't say anything about being a stone object, just that it has to be stone magic. The best way to use petrified as sure players <laughs> so, so let's hit, hit pf2 super quickly um there there isn't an incapacitated condition like there's actually surprisingly fewer of these conditions than there are in 3x and 5e paralyzed is still a thing um pf2 is actually really clever to distinguish between physical and mental actions uh, like the paralyzed condition specifies you can't take physical actions, but you can still take mental actions, including stuff like recall knowledge. Um, so if your character is paralyzed, like you cannot physically move your body, but anything that you can do just by thinking still works. So like if you could somehow cast a spell just by thinking about it, that would work. Recall knowledge still works. Like there's a few other purely mental actions that you can use. So like it, it's kind of neat. Like you're, you're, Eight intelligence fighter could sit there paralyzed and be like, I wonder if I know anything about ghouls. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I know. I wish they'd stop clawing me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the petrified condition, basically the same as, as five E um, it does specify that you're an object though, which is interesting because in PF two, you can use stone shape on a petrified oh, creature. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, the unconscious condition specifies that you can be awoken by taking damage loud noises etc like in 5e whatever makes you unconscious will generally have some condition for waking you up like the sleep spell a creature can spend an action to shake the target awake and they wake up from the spell in pf2 like that's just baked into the unconscious condition so if the character is naturally asleep if they've been put to sleep by a spell whatever if they take any amount of damage or if there's a very, very loud noise or um, like they can make a perception check to wake up if there's a noise. So, like if you need to wake up your party, you can either A, blow a horn, make a loud noise, or B, you can cast Magic Missile and do a small amount of damage to everyone in the party. Everyone's awake. Wake up, guys. Here's a D4 of damage. Everybody loves that. 
Um, there is also Stunned in Pathfinder 2, uh, which uh, works kind of similar to other one, uh, to I would say 5e. If you're stunned, it like the like we said before, it comes with a value. So it could be like stunned one, stunned two, stunned three, and essentially you lose that amount of actions on your turn. So if you are say, but uh, it is it is the the value of the stunned is then reduced by however many actions you are forced to sacrifice. So if you have like let's say stunned five, on on the first turn you would lose all three of your actions. That was that's just your turn. The second round you still have stunned two now so you still have to sacrifice two actions on your turn but you still have the one action yeah there's also a slowed condition which does exactly the same thing so i'm not Mm -hmm. quite sure why there are different conditions other than flavor i guess but yeah well i uh, think sorry i think slowed is doesn't isn't reduced by the actions that you were forced to sacrifice it's just Uh, it's just permanent for as long as slow is like for long as slow lasts, um, whereas stunned is reduced by you know, the amount of actions that you take. So yeah. Sorry, I had to uh, distract the displeaser beast. It was clever. I like that a lot. <laughs> so that's conditions. Uh, we have gone through a great many conditions, and I hope you've learned some things. Uh, don't be slow. Don't be paralyzed. Don't be dazed. Don't be stunned. Don't be poisoned, petrified, paralyzed, or put to sleep. Don't be frightened or fatigued. And, That's as uh, far as I've I got. All right. <laughs> Boy, uh, don't be uh, don't be uh, hugged. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, Rand- Randall is frantically pantomiming, putting arms around something, and I I I just couldn't I just couldn't work with it. I <laughs> couldn't put it all together. <laughs> no, I I could. I chose not to. That's <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel like you're prone to that. Ah, oh my god, go away. <laughs> we have a question of the week this week. Our question of the week this week comes to us from Angia via Patreon. How would each of you rank Five E's classes from best to worst? We know Tyler has Wizard at the top, but I'd love to know the whole list for all three of you. Thanks. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and give the caveat. There are a lot of classes, and yeah, I apologize. We're, we're probably not going to give you a top to bottom, but we're going to give you a vague wishy-washy. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> 100%. Uh, Angia has it right. Wizards are at the top. Everyone else is at the bottom. End of list. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, uh, wizards, yeah, definitely, in my, my opinion, way up at the top. Um, clerics artificers also pretty high i wouldn't say they're as good as wizards but i'm willing to admit personal bias there um right below them i'd say uh actually bards are probably up there right next to clerics bards are crazy good in 5e um right below them like sorcerers warlocks rogues paladins um and i'd say yeah, everybody else kind of down a step below that. Monks, uh, monks and rangers struggle if you're using just the player's handbook subclasses, but like later subclasses are better. I'd say right now, um, monk is still kind of like the lowest class just because it's so hard to play effectively. Uh, for me, uh, I'm going to disagree with Tyler. I think clerics beat wizards. 
Um, just because you can, you could solo a lot of things as a cleric. Like uh, the clerics, um, especially depending on which subclass you're taking, they can wield heavy armor. They have martial weapons. They have crazy good spells. Um, you can do a party of all clerics and basically fight any encounter in the game. Um, below them would be wizards, then bards. I do agree with all of that. Uh, artificers, I would say, are okay. They're they're definitely. Um, I would say, I'd personally put the sorcerer above artificer, just because I think sorcerer has more. Uh, it, it it can it can go really hog wild with the meta magic feats and stuff like that. Uh, for me, the um, I also think druids are really good. I think druids, sorcerers, and artificers, I would say, are around the same sort of level for me. Um, especially depending on which subclass you're taking. Like, if you're doing land, maybe not. <laughs> um, but moon druids are crazy good. They're very good. At the bottom, yeah, I would say, if you're going by PHB, it's definitely ranger, unfortunately. Monks, I've seen monks played really, really well. Um... I have yet to see a ranger that's played really well, unless it's um, what's that one that everybody likes? Gloomstalker. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> Gloomstalker <laughs> really is it's broken. <laughs> um, especially if uh, so, I actually banned Gloomstalker um, rangers from uh, the game that I was running, where the sun died because Gloomstalkers are. <laughs> incredible in a place that has no light <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where everything is at least dim light <laughs> yeah so oops all gloom stalkers yeah, yeah. Oh. So, like so if you are doing an underdark campaign and your dm lets you take gloom stalker ranger and never look back because it's <laughs> it's broken <laughs> um random but, published a, a gloom stalker ranger handbook um, right after Monsters of the Multiverse come and came out, and it used the new version of the Bugbear, this the build does so much damage it can in one turn reliably do more damage than the average hit points of a CR appropriate monster starting at like level four, all Jesus the way across Christ. the level range. Yeah, yeah, no, Gloomstalkers are very good. Um, mm. the rest of them not so much, and the one that breaks my heart for Ranger is. This Beastmaster. I yeah. wish it was better. I love pet classes, and I wish that it was better in 5e because it was very good in 3.x. Um, but it's not 5e. I mean, the revised Ranger, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's better. better. It's a lot better. It is, it is better. Like the the the. I would say the Beast. If you're gonna do do Beastmaster Ranger, do the revised Beastmaster Ranger that Mike Merles did. It's a lot better. Um. But uh, the other ones that I would probably lump at the bottom is barbarians. Barbarians are good at one thing. And that's to hit things. That's it. <laughs> hey man, they don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of versatility. <laughs> when half the game is nails, bring a hammer. Yeah, but but the problem with with barbarians that's different from like say a fighter is mm-hmm. if you're if a creature is flying. Guess you're just hanging out now. <laughs> like, you have four you javelins in your backpack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's about it. That's, I got some javelins. That's or that's you when you uh, fastball special the barbarian. Exactly. Yeah, jump exactly. and hug. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Randall, we're going to ask you the same question. 
Oh, so, okay. Ugh. I thought I was going to get out of this one. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to use a different metric. The metric that I'm going to use is fun to play. That's a good metric. Yeah. Okay. From that, I think I'm still going to put the monk at the bottom. Oh, okay. Like lots of, lots of small hits. You know, I feel like you have to get the high levels for things to get more interesting. Um, stunning striker is really awesome. It's almost never going to hit. And so that's really frustrating. So Quivering there's that. Palm, though, quivering palm, you can just delete a guy. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. What, what level do I have to get to to use that? Fourteen, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. How many? How many campaigns have you run up there? None. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. All right. Good. You got me. Um, okay. Um, fighters are fun, right? Maneuvers right. are fantastic. Druids yeah. are fun. Just like I want a, a table of like. My half CR creatures are my one CR creatures, and I'm just gonna roll on it. It's gonna be great. Um, bards are fun, I think, just for the versatility. Like the amount of shape that you can apply to this is is absolutely awesome. Like what what kind of bard do you want to be party on? Let's make it happen. Sorcerers are fun for the reason that you said, Ash. Like meta magic is really cool. You get to break a bit of the rules of magic in five E. It's like oh, I'm I'm you know, uh, right? You're supposed to be a full action. I'm gonna reduce you to bonus action. It's gonna be great. Um, twin spelling things is really awesome. Shaping sucks. Don't do that. But that's uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like oh, good. You just take half the damage, and everybody's happier with me because it wasn't twenty damage. It was ten now, and that's wonderful somehow. Um, I I played a, a warlock once in a one shot, and I thought that that was a lot of fun. I think I don't know if it would have been as much fun in a longer campaign, but the idea of just eldritch blasting everything was great. Yeah, I would say warlocks are up for me. Like one of those that uh, I think if you were just playing a warlock, it would get boring. But it's a good multi class. It's a really good multi class. Well, it's kind of a funny idea. Like, all right, so you have you have your spells. Your spells are great, and they're they're reasonably available, especially the way a lot of folks play. Getting that short rest isn't going to be super hard. In in the one shot that I played. What made the most sense for me was to basically consistently use Eldritch Blast the entire um, round of combat. And granted, the one shot was basically one giant round of combat. Um, <laughs> and, and that's the reason I say, like, probably it does get boring after a period of time. But I was really kicking things in the teeth from really far away. And I liked that a lot. You know, what's interesting for Wizard, right? Like, it, great. If we're. All right, I'm going to look at Tyler because I think Tyler is going to make an argument against this. You're wrong. No. <laughs> Nailed it. No. Right. Like level 10, level 15, level 20. The wizard's going to be awesome because they are at the point where they have so much awesomeness available to them. If you're playing a campaign where you just don't expect to get that high, you're going to spend a lot of time working towards the awesomeness when you might have had more fun playing some of these other characters that we talked about. Yeah, I think that's true uh, a lot is that spellcasters get really fun, like really fun at later levels, uh, but are rough to play at the beginning. And it's the opposite for martial classes. They're very fun to play at the beginning, but they really drop off hard at the end. I I think that's a very reasonable criticism. And that gets into the uh, linear fighters, quadratic wizards concept. Um, Personally, I've had a lot of fun with very low low level wizards, but I'm willing to admit personal bias there. No, it makes perfect sense. All right. Uh, so, NJ, great question. Uh, I had fun with it, and I mainly had fun 
trying not to say the exact same thing that the other two people just said. Uh, <laughs> that was the best part. Yeah. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. I'm Randall James. You can find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Campster. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RPGBOTDOTNET, Patreon.com slash RPGBot, and Reddit.com slash R slash RPGBot. And I'm Ash Sheila. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.content, content polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You can find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. 